On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Jack was hospitalised in February and March of this year due to pain from his arthritis and he had a fracture on his spine. So there's about 269,000 children in Ireland who are aged 12 to 15. We were in hospital for three weeks and neither Jack nor I were vaccinated. NIAC have looked really closely and they've said that in their view, the benefits for the children of being vaccinated far outweigh the risks. And that was really scary because... You know, we had been in our little cocoon and then we were suddenly in hospital. I just dread to think of another winter like that. My priority for some time now has been children with underlying conditions. For the vaccine to be available for everyone and to be given, not just talked about, to be actually given to the kids. This week on In Focus, should we vaccinate our children? That's the big question that many parents will have to grapple with over the coming months. But even the experts can't agree with some urging caution. So I think the decision to vaccinate children, it's a finely balanced one. We need to look at the benefit to risk ratio. And others who believe the vaccination programme should go all the way down as far as primary school children. I don't want to get COVID-19. I want to be vaccinated and I want my children to have the same choice. This is a big problem as we open schools and the Delta variant is increasing in Ireland. You're listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie. I'm your host, Kevin Doyle. The voice you heard at the start of this episode was Ashleen McAniff. Ashleen is the sole carer for her teenage son, Jack, who has Down syndrome and a rare auto-inflammatory disease. They've been cocooning since March 2020. Tell us a little bit about Jack, his personality, the kind of life that he wants to return to. Yeah, like, I mean, Jack has very simple pleasures, you know, he just he just loves going to school and mixing with his friends. He loves going out for a walk in his buggy with his friends, not just with his mum. And he likes that, you know, they go they they do things. They do baking. They go to the cinema. They go for walks. They go to playground. They do all sorts of things. And just like like all kids, he just wants to be with his friends and um, he loves his essays, loves school and he loves the whole interaction. Like um, it has been very isolating for him because at least like I can chat away and talk to people. And even if I'm isolated, I can still, you know, interact with people where Jack is literally at home and it's me and him. And, you know, Laura Lynn as well, who are, you know, a lifeline for us. They were closed for about six months last year 
so you know they we didn't have any respite so he does go to Laurel Inn when when he can uh, for respite so that's two nights here and there and that's a lifeline and he loves going there and it's a really social event for him you know Jack was hospitalised in February and March of this year due to pain from his arthritis and he had a fracture on his spine and uh, like we were in hospital for three weeks and neither Jack nor I were vaccinated and it was terrifying um, because we went from being at home, just the two of us, to being in hospital, seeing could be 20, 30 people a day because he was seeing so many teams because he was pretty ill and they didn't know it was wrong. So Jack would be under 13 teams anyway. So we're seeing all different doctors and nurses coming in and out all day. And that was really scary because, you know, we had been in our little cocoon and then we were suddenly in hospital. So it was hard, you know, and um, I just dread to think of another winter like that. For the vaccine to be available for everyone and to be given, not just talked about, to be actually given to the kids is is really important. And not just 12 to 15 year olds, they are going to have to move down the line. Like Jack's school is a special school and they cater for children from age five to 18. So like he will be in a school with other children who are unvaccinated anyway. But at least if his class uh, were vaccinated, I would feel some peace and I would feel that I could send him in because they, they do keep all their classes separate since the pandemic began so you know there would be some hope and some sort of normality for our family so for you the vaccination program offers some light at the end of the tunnel it offers a way out it's been really difficult because there's been no support and no home support so the vaccines does offer the light at the end of the tunnel so the vaccine for jack was what i couldn't wait for him to get um I when when the EMA um, approved the vaccine at the end of May, I thought, great, great. Um, but NIAC um, had to do some further approval. So actually, the children in Ireland didn't get it uh, if they were 12 to 15 years old. So um, I have been fighting for this and uh, nothing was really happening. Now there is an announcement that 12 to 15 year olds are going to be done. Um, my son turned 16 at the end of July. So he literally got it on his birthday because my GP, I had said to her, you know, I really need him to get it. And she did it on his birthday. His sister was due to have it too. Who She's a year older than him, but she actually had COVID. So she couldn't have it. Now she was luckily able to isolate elsewhere. Um, so Jack wasn't in contact with her um, when she contracted COVID because otherwise we would have been in the exact scenario that I was trying to avoid. And like Jack has heart and lung disease and he needs further heart surgery. So if he got COVID, it's very likely that, that he wouldn't survive. So these fears and the vaccine being the light at the end of the tunnel, they're very real for families like ours. Paul Moyna is Professor of Immunology at NUI Maynooth. So Paul, I suppose we shouldn't underestimate what a big decision this is for a lot of parents to make, that many will have gone out, got the vaccine themselves, absolutely no hesitancy. But it is different when you think of a 12-year-old, isn't it? I think it is, Kevin, yeah. The, the bar is high and it has to be high for children. And that is one of the reasons why in the initial clinical trials, they were restricted to adults. But now we're moving into 
where most of the adult population is vaccinated. And now we're considering the vaccination of children. Um, and in vaccinating any cohort, adults or children, you have to look at the benefit to risk ratio. In terms of when you look at the benefits of vaccinating children, there are a number of different aspects there to consider. The most important being the direct benefits for the children who are vaccinated. So we look at those benefits. Yes, children can get infected by the virus. They can spread the virus. Thankfully, children are quite resistant to developing severe COVID, so they can get infected. But in most, the vast majority of cases, it, it's a mild illness. There are some cases where it can develop into quite a severe multi-system inflammatory uh, syndrome that can be quite serious. But thankfully, that is quite rare. Also, some children can develop, like adults, what we refer to as long COVID. And this is where symptoms persist for a long number of weeks after the acute infection. I guess the challenge there is in terms of evaluating long COVID is actually defining it clinically. Uh, when you look at the prevalence of long COVID, it can vary depending on the studies. You know, some suggest it's up to about 10%. Uh, there was a report just out yesterday in the Lancet Child and Adolescent uh, Health Journal suggesting that it's probably much lower than that. And they're looking at figures of maybe around 1.8% in the infected population, whereas in the uninfected population, it's about 0.9%. And again, those symptoms would tend to resolve within eight weeks. So thankfully, overall, the disease burden on children from this virus is relatively low, but albeit it is significant in, in some cases. A lot of people will perhaps look at, though, is the question that we talk a lot about that we knew very little, we knew nothing about COVID-19 at the start of this. We've learned a lot about it as it goes on. We still have limited knowledge of long COVID, like you mentioned. but we have even less knowledge about the long-term potential effects of the vaccines. We, we know they are working in the adult population, but there isn't a mass population of younger children that have taken it that we can say it works and it's safe. So, so that is very true, Kevin. So if you look at the clinical trials and even the trials, it has been approved now, two vaccines have been approved from the European Medicines Agency for use in the 12 to 15 year olds. So that's the one from Pfizer and the one from Moderna. So both of these are RNA vaccines. When you look at those trials, those trials were limited to, I think, in one case of around 1,000 children and the second about 2,000 children. They were shown to be quite effective in terms of protecting against infection. There were some side effects, but not detected in those trials because those trials are quite small. Some countries have already begun to roll out this in the 12 to 15 year olds. For example, the US, you know, and, and, you know a number of million of, children, of 12 to 15 year olds have already been vaccinated. One of the side effects associated with the RNA vaccines is an inflammation of the heart, a condition called myocarditis. It was initially detected in younger men, especially under the age of 30. It was, it was quite notable. But what you tend to see is you tend to see the frequency of this increases as you decrease in age. So it seems to be as you get younger, the frequency of this side effect of myocarditis seems to become more frequent, albeit it's still quite quite rare. Other countries have been more circumspect, for example, the UK, they've said, okay, we look at the children who are very susceptible to developing severe COVID. And yes, strongly recommend that those children should be vaccinated. But for other children in that 12 to 15, we should wait and wait to see the data as this is rolled out on a more extensive basis worldwide. 
We're going to head with it, though, in the next few weeks, most likely, possibly ahead of the return of the school. Do you think maybe we should wait a little longer then to see some of that data? I, I myself, Kevin, I was probably a little bit surprised that we, in this case, we didn't employ the precautionary principle. And again, I thought it was quite sensible in terms of what the UK is doing. So there's sort of a wait and see approach. I think it's probably quite a prudent approach. And I don't think it's a case of having to wait for a long number of weeks. I think that data, more and more of that data will emerge in the, in the coming weeks. Thousands of doctors and nurses in Kenya are yet to be vaccinated. They are just what about the, the bigger question, the global question, really, the idea of that so many countries face vaccine poverty, while we are now boasting that we are not just one of the best in Europe, but one of the best in the world, and that we're powering ahead to these younger age groups. Meanwhile, there are countries that have little or no vaccines. They are just part of millions who are victims of one of the inequalities exposed by the pandemic. Across the global south, health workers are being killed by a virus from which their counterparts in rich countries are largely protected. Yeah, I think that's a very serious ethical uh, consideration that needs to be discussed. We're, we're looking and we're discussing vaccinating a cohort of individuals, in this case children, that are relatively low risk to the, to the virus and in terms of developing severe illness or dying from, from the virus. Whereas in low-income countries, low-income countries, many in Africa, for example, have very low access affordability in order for you know mass rollout of these vaccines. In those countries, we have cohorts, whether it be frontline healthcare workers, older age groups, vulnerable age, vulnerable uh, individuals that if they don't get the vaccine, they will die. I think in terms of this pandemic, in terms of getting this pandemic under control, we're doing really, really well as a country in terms of our vaccine rollout, but we can't get away from the fact that this is a global pandemic. I think a bigger concern is not the emergence of variants in children, but because of there's you know, vast regions in the globe that do not have extensive access to the vaccines and where the transmission of the virus is really, really, really high, that's where variants are most likely to arise. And obviously they will be imported over time to Ireland. So very important ethical consideration, I think, that needs to be discussed. Tomás Ryan is Associate Professor at Trinity College Dublin and a member of the Independent Scientific Advocacy Group. Tomás, in basic terms, if a parent is considering whether or not to have their child vaccinated, what do they have to weigh up? I think the first thing that we all need to ask ourselves as parents is what is the likelihood of my child becoming infected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19? Because if that is very, very likely, then it stands to reason that a vaccination would be much more preferable. If the choice is between vaccination and infection, then surely vaccination would be a preferred route of protection as it is for people of any other age. Right now, we're offering vaccination to 12 to 15-year-olds. I think this is a very welcome development and that we're right to offer the vaccines to that proportion, that portion of our population. As we move into winter, uh, we can be hopeful that by, by midwinter, uh, some of the vaccines we've been using so far, such as Pfizer and Moderna, may also be licensed for people who are under 12. 
Um, and when we get to that stage, uh, I personally, as a parent of, of two under 12s, would much prefer um, my children be vaccinated with a properly licensed vaccine than that they be infected with the SARS-CoV-2 Delta variant. Parents will have concerns, uh, Tomas, though, that if, say, a seven or an eight-year-old gets this vaccine, we don't know the long-term impact because they're, they are very new on the market and there have been trials, but they, they, I suppose they haven't been perhaps as extensive as we might expect with other childhood vaccinations. So they will say the risk from COVID if a child gets it is relatively small. The infection seems to pass relatively quickly uh, and, and with no long-term impacts. Whereas a vaccine, perhaps you're putting, you're take, making a choice to put something in your body that you don't know if there are longer term impacts. We don't know the longer term impacts uh, of these vaccines. So far, they seem to be uh, safe in, in, in adults. Um, so there's no reason why they wouldn't be relatively safe in, in children. Um, what we also don't know is, though, the long-term impacts of being infected with SARS-CoV-2. We don't really know the natural history of this virus. And when you're looking at over the lifetime of what the impact is this, this is going to be on the population with respect to long COVID, we're currently in the dark. Um, I would much rather be uh, vaccinated than be infected with COVID-19. I think most people in this country would rather be vaccinated than be infected with COVID-19. And so I think that the same logic applies to children. Now, you, you said that children are relatively low risk for the effects of COVID-19. Uh, that statement on its own, it doesn't really mean anything unless we say relative to what. It's true that children are less at risk to, COVID, to the really bad effects of COVID-19 than adults. That is that children are very low risk of dying of COVID-19. The risk of hospitalization to children, however, is not negligible. Uh, we're seeing in the UK about 50 hospitalizations of children every day uh, in the last month. Over 1,000 children in Great Britain have been hospitalized with COVID-19 in the past month, whereas a couple of months ago, it was about 10 children per day. Now, that's on account of the surge in Delta variant cases that, ha that is happening in the UK. And that is about to happen here, uh, most likely even more if we follow the NEFID scenarios. On top of the very significant risk of hospitalization to children, uh, we have the risk of long COVID, which depending on what studies you read, uh, affects between 7% and 15% of children who are infected with the virus. Um, and in the UK alone, what we know is that at least 35,000 children have shown symptoms of long COVID. So it's very clear that the risk to children is, is very substantial. On a practical level, Tomas, in terms of schools, and we've, we've talked about keeping schools open, it's been a big priority for the government. And with the Delta variant in circulation at the level that it is now, do you think an uptake, a good uptake in that younger cohort for the vaccine is necessary if schools are to reopen on schedule in late August, September and continue uh, as to function normally after that? I'm very concerned about schools opening normally um, in September. Um, 
if we realize the kind of models that Neffet have have laid out, if we land in really any one of those scenarios, we're in a very difficult place regarding schools. Now we're in a situation where we're entering September 2021, where we could have as many cases as Christmas. In fact, with the Nefish central scenarios, uh, we could have 10,000 cases a day by September, uh, by mid-September, and that 10,000 cases a day would be of the Delta variant. We have not observed the Delta variant in schools yet. We, we don't know what it would look like. And it's important to remember that schools are vaccine-free environments, with the exception of the teachers. The schools are essentially vaccine-free environments. So we have a problem. We are going to continue reopening the country, and we're going to try and reopen schools the way we have been operating them. Then the Delta variant will spread rapidly uh, through the schools in Ireland. Now, in the case of secondary schools, if we have very large uptake of the vaccine in 12 to 15 year olds and of course in 15 to 18 year olds over the coming period, then of course that will largely mitigate for the effect that we're worried will happen in in the secondary school environment. Um, So that would be an, an immensely positive development if we get high vaccine coverage in that age group. For primary schools, of course, it's a very different situation because there's no prospect of vaccinating primary school children uh, really this side of, of Christmas being realistic. So that puts schools in a, in a very difficult position. You are listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie, produced by Mary Carroll and sound designed by John Smith. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.